been telling you guys since I started preaching here that uh, I'm a proponent of going through a book. Uh, the Lord works out the timing, the Lord works out the subject material to be covered, and we just go through it. Um, there are a lot of pastors who speak topically, and, and that's okay sometimes. But for the main steady diet, I think we need to take a book and go through it. That way we see what the Lord has to say in the order that the Lord presents it. Well, he worked it out such that we are talking about uh, national repentance, and it couldn't be more fitting. We're going to be looking in uh, Daniel chapter 9, if you would like to turn there in your Bible. Daniel's life and his habits are obviously worthy of our imitation Uh, We spent the first half of the book pretty much looking at the credentials of the prophet so that in the second half of the book we could see that this is a man dearly beloved of God uh, that God is working through. So the first half tells some wonderful stories and establishes his credibility and then the second half of the book is telling us all these prophecies. We need to learn from this prayer today that's recorded for us. Now, there's a logical question, a logical and reasonable question that comes up when we talk about prayer, and uh, that is, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? Meaning, if God knows what he's going to do, knows the best thing to do, and has a will that is set out to accomplish certain things, then if God is sovereign, why do we pray? Because is it really going to make any difference? Let me tell you, that's a reasonable, thoughtful question. But the better question is, why pray unless God is sovereign? Because if he's not sovereign, then what good is it going to do to pray to him, right? Now, there are means to an end. Uh, People talk about the means justifying the end. There are ways that things happen. Consider evangelism, for example. God could draw the elect to himself... Without you and me. He could plant it in their minds and in their hearts. He could cause repentance to happen. He could illuminate their minds with the gospel. He could do all that stuff without us. But he doesn't. He chooses to use us as a means to the end that he wants to happen, right? And prayer is is very much the same thing. Prayer is the means by which God in his sovereignty wishes to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. So if you say, can God, you know, can prayer change God's mind? Well, you know, we see Moses pray on behalf of the Israelites. God says, I'm going to wipe these dudes out and start over with you. Now, was it his eternal purpose and plan to wipe them out? No. But was he going to if Moses didn't intercede for them? Yes. But his plan was for Moses to intercede for them. (laughs) And so he uses sovereignly the prayers of his people to accomplish what is his will. Much like evangelism. There are people that, uh, you know, the Lord wishes to save. And he's not just sitting around hoping that it'll happen. (laughs) He uses us to make his will happen there, see? So let's read in Daniel 9, 1 through 19, and with our present uh, calamity in view, I think this will be very meaningful. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, 
perceived in the books the numbers of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, while fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his ways, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven... There has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now... O Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins. And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And the city that is called by your name, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act, delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. 
So the first thing that we see about Daniel's prayer is that he prays in response to Scripture. In verse 2, we saw that Daniel read in Jeremiah, the prophet, that the time of the exile was going to be 70 years. Now, what scriptures is he, what scripture is he talking about? We'll take a look at that. Jeremiah 25, verses 8 through 12 says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring him against this land and its inhabitants, and against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So Jeremiah, the prophet, clearly says that because of your sin and rebellion, all of these things are going to happen to you, and the the crushing of the city is going to last for 70 years. And then in Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and 11, he says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now we've all heard that last verse, haven't we? It's probably on some coffee mug at your house. Now it gets very often used (laughs) very much out of context. Um, People read that verse and they say, okay, God is promising me a life of all roses and no thorns. Well, God's not talking to you. He's talking to Israel. And he's talking to Israel in the context of you've been decimated and taken to captivity for 70 years. Okay, so he's saying, ultimately, my plan is to restore you. And we know that ultimately that is the plan that he had for mankind. Uh, let, me, let me encourage you again to read your Bible. If we're, going to play, if we're going to pray in response to the Word of God, we have to read the Word of God. Now, I know you may say, look, I pray uh, a lot, so my prayer life is great, but I don't read my Bible. But hey, on the bright side, part of my spiritual life is good. Um, lost people do that too. I, I just got to tell you, if you look on Facebook, you're going to see the most a hardcore heathen will pray. They think of God as a genie and that genie can come and serve them maybe at their whim. And so that's how they treat God. They pray. And so we as the people of God, we need to pray, but we also need to read the word. Okay. Because that way we can have a two way conversation with God, not just a one way conversation with God. Uh, Have you ever been around anybody uh, Catherine has this one particular friend that I will observe their conversations and it is 99.9% this other person and then Cat will try to squeeze a word in every now and then. Uh, that's what we do to God, right? We don't listen to his word. We just yak at him, okay? So it's so much better to have a two-way conversation where we are reading the word of God 
internalizing, understanding, meditating on the Word of God, and praying in response to the Word of God, like we see Daniel doing. Now, secondly, I want us to pray with humility. Uh, Daniel 9, verse 3 says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now let's talk about fasting for a second. Uh, there's a lot of talk about that these days because it's, it's helpful uh, health-wise for a lot of folks. Um, if you have a health concern about fasting and you really think you wouldn't be able to, I, talk to your doctor. I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor. But I think that's not most of our problems. Most of us just assume we couldn't do that. We go, that would be unpleasant and uncomfortable and therefore I can't do it, Right? <laughs> Uh, Let me urge you to reconsider that. The Bible talks about fasting. It is a a spiritual discipline. Um, God is not going to tell you to do something you can't do, right? Now, there are going to be exceptions. There could be medical exceptions, right? But I think it's kind of like Bible reading. We excuse ourselves really easily when it comes to fasting. So let me just urge you to consider it because... It is, a, it is a display of humility. And if you approach the Lord in fasting, that is humbling yourself to approach God in the proper posture. Now, uh, you, you know, if you can't fast, God knows that. He's okay with that. Don't worry about it. But if you can, maybe you should. Just something to consider. And then he goes on to say, and sackcloth and ashes. These are further signs of humbling oneself before God. Now, I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend you go get some sackcloth because I don't even know where to get it or what it is exactly. Uh, but humility is the point here. Approach God in humility. So internal um, evaluation of your motives is just really helpful for both of these spiritual disciplines, fasting and Bible reading. Because, like I said, we can give ourselves a whole lot of excuses not to do it, but instead, just consider saying, I'm done with the excuses, I'm just going to do it, because it's something that would be profitable for my spiritual life and honoring to God. Next, I want us to pray with honest confession. Now, I'm going to point out some of these sins in these verses. In verse 5, it says, we've sinned, we've done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside. Verse 6 says, not listened. Uh, Verse 7 says, uh, to us belongs open shame uh, because of treachery that we've committed. Verse 8 says, we we deserve open shame because we have sinned. Verse 9 says, we've rebelled. Verse 10 says, we have not obeyed. Verse 11 says, we have transgressed your law, we've turned aside, we've refused to obey, and then we've sinned. Verse 13 says, we have not entreated the favor of the Lord. Verse 14 says, we have not obeyed. Verse 15 says, we have sinned and done wickedly. So let me, let me tell you, we need to be candid when we pray. Uh, be vulnerable when you pray. Now I know that's harder for some people than it is for other people. 
But if you try to make excuses for your sin when you come to God, it's not going to deceive him at all, okay? No matter how you spin it, he's still going to understand what's going on. But the danger is it may deceive you. You can deceive yourself. You can't deceive God. So let me urge you, when you pray and confess sin, be candid. Um, Just be real with the Lord because you're not going to fool him. But again, there is that, that pretty high risk that you might fool yourself, and that's not good either. Pray with great expectations. When we consider to whom we are praying, we can pray for big stuff. Now, I hope that your view of God is really, really big. Mine is, but it's not big enough. Well, why don't I make it bigger? I am. I constantly have a bigger and bigger view of God, but it's still not big enough because my little mind can't understand the greatness and the holiness and the goodness of God. So the more we see God, the more big He looks and the more big to us He becomes. But then there's never an end to that. We will spend eternity viewing the glory of God and understanding it more and more as we go. Daniel 16, I mean Daniel 9, verses 16 through 19, Daniel asks for forgiveness. He asks for mercy because God's mercy is immense. Daniel has freely and eloquently admitted and confessed that they do not deserve forgiveness. He has said, to us belong open shame, right? He says, that's what we deserve. But then he goes ahead and asks for mercy. Because of his huge view of his huge God. Then verse 16, he asked God to turn away his anger and wrath. Verses 17 and 18, he pleads for mercy. Verse 19, he asks for forgiveness. Folks, America does not deserve forgiveness. Uh, Abortion is the, I think, the most egregious affront. Um... I saw, a, I saw a tweet from Planned Parenthood talking about how grieved they were because they are so sure that black lives matter. Well, black lives don't matter to them when they are aborting those children, do they? The founder of Planned Parenthood was on a mission to eradicate the black race. But now they say black lives matter. Well, not the unborn black lives That is a stain on our country that I think is unforgivable. But then I think about how much mercy God has. And I say, well, we don't deserve it. But I'm going to do like Daniel did. And I'm going to ask for mercy. We have corrupt, corrupt leaders. Um, We had one leader. I won't name names. But that person said, we have to have mail-in balloting. Because it would, be, it would endanger people in November for them to go to a voting booth. And then a couple of days later, she explicitly said, I encourage you to gather and protest. So apparently COVID-19 doesn't affect you if you're in civil rebellion, but it affects you if you're going to vote. Okay, we have corrupt leaders at the highest levels. There is injustice in our country, as we've seen from so many different groups in the past two weeks. Now, guys, it is heinous, ridiculous injustice when a man is handcuffed 
and murdered. That is horrible injustice. It is also horrible injustice when someone burns, loots, and destroys somebody's livelihood and business. It is, it is injustice when a retired policeman is trying to protect his friend's business and he's murdered. That was a black guy too. Apparently his life didn't matter though because we're not seeing any protests about that. So there is injustice, heinous injustice on both, well, all, all angles of this thing, okay, in our country. There's a flagrant rejection of God's order and purposes especially with sex and gender. We are just absolutely in full tilt rebellion against God there. God makes male and female, and we say, God, you messed up. You didn't do it right. We know better. Here's what we have the freedom to do. We clearly do not deserve forgiveness. But let's ask for it anyway, because our God is amazingly gracious and forgiving. Let's pray with God's glory as our primary concern. Daniel prayed this way. And I'm just going to read some of these highlights. Verse 16, he says, Your people have become a byword. He says, Your people have become a byword. Your people are making you look bad. Verse 17, he says, Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy And for your own sake, Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary. So Daniel is saying, God, for your sake, for the name, for your name, for your glory, for your honor, forgive and restore us. Moses did the same thing. Moses would say to God, look, God, you don't want to destroy these people because everybody knows you brought them out of Egypt. And so... It's going to look like you can't keep your own folks out of trouble. So, so forgive them. Okay? So these prophets and these great men of God are interested in God's glory primarily when they pray. Verse 18 says, Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. Again, he's saying, Lord, we don't want this to look bad because it's going to make you look bad. Verse 19, Do not delay for your own sake, O oh my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. The more you desire and work for God's glory, the more you pray for God's glory, the more you and God are going to be on the same page. If you want to have effective, answered prayers, root them in the fact that they are ultimately for the glory of God. And those are the kind of prayers that he will be delighted to answer. Now we've seen two principles One is, we can repent on behalf of our group. Now Daniel is saying, we have done all this stuff. We have been in rebellion. We have uh, not listened to you. Now did Daniel not listen to God? No, Daniel listened to God. But he is one of the Israelites. And so he is taking upon himself to repent for his people. Now I know none of you murdered anybody all right i know you didn't go loot and burn and destroy and murder i know you didn't have some dude handcuffed and and murder him i know you didn't do it daniel didn't do it either that's not the point we can repent on behalf of our group and i'm so grateful this prayer is in here 
Because that tells us this. We can see it from this. Our nation, our church, can you individually be forgiven and saved by me repenting for you? No. I mean, I wish you could. (laughs) Wow, I wish you could. That's all I would do every day is just repent and believe on other people's behalf. But it doesn't work that way. But we can, like Daniel, repent on behalf of our nation. The next principle is we can intercede on behalf of our group. We can stand in the gap. Now you've all heard that saying, right? Stand in the gap. That comes from Ezekiel 22.30. And I sought, and this is God speaking, And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Let's think about that. I want to read that one more time. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Let's let's be that one on behalf of our nation. Now the application is that we need to repent on behalf of America. But let me talk about something even even closer to home. Let me ask you to listen to what I'm saying and not misinterpret what I'm saying. We need to repent on behalf of those who sinned back when we were considering the merger. Now, voting not to merge was not a sin. Okay, you listening to me? I hope you're listening to me. Voting not to merge was not a sin. As a matter of fact, it seems to me that it was God's will that we not merge because I think we are on on the right path now. What was sin was gossip and lies. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may never give grace, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but, de- but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Gossip and lies, that, that was sin. False accusations against an elder is explicitly prohibited. 1 Timothy 5.19 says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Obviously, this is to, present, to, to prevent false accusations, not, not real ones, but false ones. False accusations were made against Brother Brandon. When we were discussing this new campus, one of our MAT members wisely pointed out that there needed to be repentance for some of the foolishness that went on during the other talk. That person was correct. Now again, I'm... If you voted for or against, neither of those is sin. Please understand I'm saying that. The part that was sin was the lies, the gossip, and the slander of our elder who had tremendous and still has tremendous integrity. So let's remove all rebellion against the Lord so that he will, number one, be honored and glorified in what we do. Number two, bless this huge endeavor <laughs> that we're about to embark on. Folks, um, when we voted to 
go ahead with this land and this development. I felt like the proverbial dog that catches the car and then wonders what to do with it, right? We, we need blessing. <laughs> we need the Lord to guide us. And the way that he's going to guide us if we are a submissive, forgiven, repentant people. Not if we're proud. Not if we're saying, hey, I want to make our name a little greater. Um, so I believe, honestly, that like that wise Matt member said, we need to repent of some things that happened. Now, did you sin during the merger talks? Well, that's a, that's a question only you can answer. If so, please repent individually, but let us all repent corporately. Now, I know you may say, but I didn't do anything. Well, neither did Daniel. That's the whole point, right? Neither did Daniel. But if you made it out of that whole thing without saying or doing or even thinking something sinful, you probably did better than most of us, including me. Uh, I assumed some things about people's motives. That's sin. I may have been right. It's still sin. <laughs> okay? So do, uh, do a little self-reflection there. Now I want us to pray for the U.S. I want us to pray for West Laurel Baptist Church. And uh, again, this is not to draw attention to you. This is to stand in the gap. This is to be that person that the Lord is looking for on behalf of America and on behalf of West Laurel. Um, let me invite you to pray. If you would like to come up here, just don't touch this and you won't get my germs, okay? <laughs>